So if you've got your outline, I'm going to talk to you today about the subject that affects every single person in this room. It's affected you in the past and it's going to affect you again in the future. I've entitled today, Hope Beyond Bitterness. We often get bitter when things just ain't fair, right? <laughs> we get ticked off, and then that ticked off turns to bitterness. That's what happens. Now, just for as a sidebar here, you who are married here, fights will not break your marriage. Everybody has fights. If, if people tell you they don't have fights, they're liars. They've got another problem. <laughs> okay. Somebody's walking over somebody, if that's the case. I'm being ridiculous. So what will break a marriage is not fighting. In fact, I once did a message on how to have a good fight. It's important. There are grand rules to have a good fight. There really are. It's going to happen. But you need to know what they are. You need to abide by them and agree them up front. That's a whole other subject. But what I'm saying to you is what breaks a marriage is bitterness and immaturity. Those two things. Bitterness is closer linked to unforgiveness and immaturity. That's another subject. That was for free. Let's start with the message. <laughs> there is something in each of us, and especially in guys like me, that long for fairness. It gets my dander up when things seem to be unfair. You know, and so do you, really. We all think that good people should, by and large, get the reward for what they deserve, right? And we also think that bad people should be swiftly punished and get their just desserts, right? That's deep ingrained in our lives. And what we're really thinking is that, and what we want is for life to work out and everybody live happily ever after. That's what we all want. Now, unfortunately, guys and gals, Life doesn't always turn out like that way. It doesn't turn out the way it should, or at least what we think it should turn out. Now, the author, Scott Pick, who wrote The Road Less Travelled, had a sentence which struck me this week as I was reading some of it. And it just said this. This is a secular author, and he said this. Life is difficult. Let me say it again. Life is difficult. Now as Christians, we know that even though life is difficult, God will ultimately triumph over evil. And that our God is always just and always fair and always kind and always loving. That's what we know. But what do we do whilst on this brief glimpse sliver of eternity on earth... When we observe injustices, anybody observed an injustice in their life or two? Can you see your hands, please? I'm talking to the right crowd. They are realistic here. We are real. It's, it's delusional to say that injustices happen here. Oh, well, the court systems are that. Well, maybe. But I know that all justice isn't meted out properly in the courts, and so do you know that. What do you and I do with injustices and unfairness in the meantime whilst we live in this imperfect world marred by sin? Anybody can't notice that? 
What do we do in the meantime? How do we keep pressing on when life just doesn't seem fair? Now this subject has touched every one of us in some way. And for some, it hurts because it's still going on in your life today. And what I'm talking about is times when life isn't fair. And when we have to live, we are forced to live, it seems, with the consequences of what is occurring. So before I start today, I'd like to just bow in a moment's prayer, a word of prayer. So would you bow with me now and close your eyes and, and block out all visual interruptions. And for a moment, would you work with me and focus on that event or that person who is still haunting your life, even though the event or person, this issue may have happened a while ago. Or that circumstance or series of circumstances that's taken your joy. And in reality, it's preoccupied your time for way too long. Father, there is something in every one of us here that longs for things to be fair. There is this, in, there's this sense of we need things to be fair for our own peace, that there'll be justice done, that truth be rewarded and honored, that lies be dealt with, and that consequences be suffered as a result of dishonesty. Look, but Lord, you know how life is down here. You lived here when people falsely accused you. They said things which weren't true about you. You know that not all things do work out, at least as we perceive them, always fairly, in such a way that we feel, would you minister to us in, in such a way that we feel a sense of relief today as we look at your word? Now, for some, this has occurred in their family, Lord, and you know about these issues. Maybe to a child or even an adult child whose mate has walked away. When we feel the anger and the frustration that the family has been torn apart or being destroyed by selfishness and immaturity. For others, it's one's mate, where although they have lived a good life, disease has come and perhaps even stolen their life unexpectedly. For others, it's been an unfair situation at work or been shafted or relegated at school. And whatever we do, we can't seem to make it right. Lord, you know that life doesn't come to all as always fair. And I pray that you will use these few moments that we have today together in your precious word, to give a sense of relief and peace and release. Thank you in advance for addressing each one of us in our own particular worlds. Remind us again of the power of your cross. And may its power infuse us with hope. May your spirit win us and woo us to a righteous response to unfairness. In the powerful and matchless name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen.
Wow. Our response to unfairness typically falls into one of two camps. The first one is basically the human perspective, and the other one, guess what that is? The divine perspective, or God's perspective, right? Now, I want to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 17, as we've been working our way systematically through the, the book of 1 Peter. And the reason for this is I feel at this time in our church, God wants us to be forced to address all of the issues as we see them in the book. We don't get to skip any verse. All the ones that we'd like to hop over the top of. And we're going to look about the divine view also from Peter's words of the suffering and persecuted Christians in the first century church. And we're going to apply those principles to our lives today. And we're going to see that Peter's going to encourage us with a divine perspective in the midst of unfairness and in their case, persecution. So, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to read uh, along with me. Otherwise, it'll be up here on the screen. First Peter 3. So, here we go. Now, who is it to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts... Honor Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or a reason to anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So the first perspective that we can approach suffering and unfairness is with a human perspective, because life isn't fair. Normally what you and I revert to, and we've got five grandkids, and you can see original sin right there. <laughs> Mine? No, I'm not going to share. You can see it. Never once did I have to sit down with any one of my four kids and teach them how to be rude or disrespectful or how to be selfish. It was an inbuilt gift they had. <laughs> we, as parents, spend our life bending them back the other direction, right? And actually, as adults, we are a little, a little bit more sophisticated about how we do it. Basically, what we do is we do what we need to to get our share. We still look out for number one. And often we look to get even. Now, although we may succeed, though, friends, listen carefully. Some of us may succeed in getting even. But unfortunately, peace will still elude you. So even if you get even, peace will still elude you. And I also want to add something that I've seen regardless of country. If you choose to go down this first perspective, which is your choice, not the, right, uh, the best choice I'd suggest to you, for your sake, but if you choose to go down that path, you are more likely to find yourselves at the end of your life bitter, cynical, 
and hostile. If our response to unfairness springs from the human perspective, it doesn't end well. And by the way, can I add one more word to that? Lonely. Because nobody wants to be around a bitter, angry, ticked off person. So, we do have another option, which is what God says here. And it's a divine perspective. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. Let's start from there. For the eyes of the Lord, I'm backing up a bit here. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now the principle that Peter is giving us here is that, and this is so good, God misses nothing. Remember that. That's encouraging. He misses nothing. He listens to the prayers and he's completely aware of the evil that's going on around us. That person who's shafting you at work and sticking that knife into you, he does not miss that. But he's looking to see how his son, like your child, will respond to that meanie. He's looking like you're going to look. Now we often wonder, God, why do you let things go on for so long down here? Can I just suggest this one thing to you? Fact number one, God's time frame is much longer than ours. We have as much patience sometimes as our toddlers. <laughs> I want it, I don't want it now. <laughs> and you may have used this word a lot. You have to sometimes wait. <laughs> now it may take a lifetime sometimes. That's reality. And can I be really clear with you? Sometimes on this earth, justice is not fully served by human institutions. But there's nothing that escapes God's attention. And in the end, he will demonstrate justice, perfect justice, with all of the facts for all. And that is an encouraging thing. Paul says, in the end, Romans 8.28, for Christians... Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, there's a qualifier. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, Peter's about to give us five ways, practical ways, five clear ways that we can live in an unfair and an inequitable world which we find ourselves in. How can we deal with life's unfairness in a Christian manner? My mum used to say, Ian, when somebody insults you, do not fall down to the same level as them and insult them back. Have you heard something similar to that from your parents? Yeah. That's pretty much exactly what the scriptures say. But first, there's a general principle I want to make sure you're aware of. And it's found in 1 Peter 3, uh, 13 there. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Now, a paraphrase of that verse may say, those who live honest." lives will usually, usually not suffer harm. Now usually means there are exceptions. There are exceptions to most rules, but generally if you live a clean and honest life, you usually won't suffer for the clean and honest life. In other words, if you pay your debts, chances are, when you say you will pay them, chances are good that you will not get into financial trouble. Right? As a general principle. 
chances are that if you take care of your body, chances are that you'll live a healthier life than those who don't prioritize looking after this temple of the Holy Spirit. Chances are if you help others in need, that when you need some help, somebody will be there to help you out. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. However, having said that as a general rule, there are exceptions. Those rare occasions when life just ain't fair. And it's these exceptions to the rule that we're going to give you today five responses all found in verses 14 through 17 that tell us how to deal with those occasional inequities. Number one, when the initial those iniquities come, consider yourself uniquely blessed by God. Now, whoa, what? Write it down first. I'm going to explain it. Consider yourself uniquely blessed by God. Here it is. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, it says here. So as far as injustice itself is concerned, Peter's advice is surprising. In fact, somewhat galling and some, somewhat, what the heck? Be happy? Consider yourself blessed? So let's just cross-check this to make sure we're not misunderstanding. Let's move across to Jesus' brother, James. Here it is in James chapter 1. I didn't put you. It. It's up here on the screen. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Similar sentiments. See that? But you say, how can a person be possibly joyful in trials? It's a remarkable command. Peter urges us we're to choose to be joyful in situations where joy would naturally be our very last response. Actually, the Phillips version of that verse says, when trials come, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends? What? It doesn't make any sense. So how can we consider ourselves blessed when we've just felt the force, the full force of injustice? Well, we need to remember, firstly, we are called to patiently endure unfair treatment so that we comes, when it comes, we can know that we're still in God's plan and fulfilling our calling. And it says here in 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. In other words, it is God, part of God's plan that you follow in his footsteps and be prepared to suffer for righteousness' sake. Not for being a jerk and ticking off people, but for when you're doing the right thing and you're getting pushback. Now the phrase for, for this, for to this you've been called, refers back to suffering for doing good, which I just mentioned. When we patiently suffer injustice, we are following the supreme example of Christ. Because in 1 Peter 3.9, again, he says, do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this, and um, uh, the contrary, bless, for this you are called. You are called to bless others. When somebody else sticks it to you for doing right, you are called to bless them. I've been challenged on that twice this week. Twice this week. I didn't do anything wrong. 
but I'm actually called in this case to make the first step. Second, remember that you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded. I like that. We forget that sometimes. We get wrapped up in the here and now. For endurance of these undeserved trials. Notice again. Let's go. We've seen Peter. We've seen Paul. Sounds like Peter, Peter, Paul and Mary, right? <laughs> that group. Let's look up Jesus now. Matthew 5. On the screen. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Suffer unfairly for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, Christian. You're going to feel more of this in the days ahead. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account because you're doing what I want because you're following in my footsteps. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven. Uh, uh, reward is great in heaven. So that, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is to be expected. This is what we call, Pete, par for the course. And again, look at this, James 1, 2, 12. Blessed is the man who remains, here's a key word, steadfast, rock solid. Stand firm under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. You probably already observed in your life there are many fair weather Christians. They're all there when things are going sweet. But when things are tough, where are they? When they have stood the test. Now, with these two promises, Christians can have the strength to react differently from the rest of humanity. We can respond to injustice dramatically differently with a positive attitude to the difficult circumstances that walk clean into our lives. Second response to unfairness is don't panic and don't worry. That's what he says. That's a godly way to approach. Fear not. Don't panic and don't worry. Natural reaction. Panic and worry. God says, that's not from me. 1 Peter 3.14b, that means the next section. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. That's where this comes from, this point. Peter's saying, don't run away from the trials and don't panic. We tend to, whoa, I'm out of here. And the first sign of trouble. The second phrase there says, we don't need to be troubled, which means don't be agitated. You know, when your stomach's going round and round and your thoughts are going round and round in a cycle. Or don't be uneasy. That's what it's getting at here. So even when trials are pressing in and people or circumstances are trying to intimidate you, as Christians, we're called to have a different spirit, a calm spirit. A calm spirit. We can be free from the inner agitation and the inner angst and worry because we know, because God knows what's going on and He is going to strengthen us. That's all we can know. Third, acknowledge Christ as Lord over that event. Acknowledge Christ as Lord even over that event. Next verse, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord holy. Stephen was a brilliant example of this. Someone who honored the Lord in spite of 
terrible persecution. He'd just given this penetrating defense of why Jesus Christ was the one and only Son of God before the Jewish council, who were extremely hostile. This guy was empowered by God's Spirit. And then they thanked him by doing what? By taking him out there and stoning the guy to death. You'll find that in Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 60. Tremendous man I love. A man, a bold man, full of courage. He had a very savage and undeserved attack. He didn't deserve that. But when those men looked into Stephen's face, they did not see the hatred reflected back at them. Instead, they saw a reflection of Christ's the Savior's grace and love. He wasn't all bitter and screwed up and his face. Argh! They saw the calmness of the Holy Spirit. Now Stephen could have died with bitterness and cursing at his lips. But like Jesus, notice, he uttered a prayer of forgiveness to those who had mercilessly mistreated him. That's the example. Jesus is the ultimate example. Stephen is another good example in case we miss the Jesus example. So when somebody pokes you for doing something and, you know, mistreats you wrong, can you see the difference here? The type of attitude these guys had? Like Stephen, we need to acknowledge Christ's control over the unfair circumstances and do our very best to see in our behavior that he is glorified. Number four, be ready to give a witness. Be ready to give a witness. 15b. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that's within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So Peter there is telling his readers that they should give a reason for the hope that they have in Christ. Now notice that this explanation for their hope comes when they have considered themselves blessed, refused to panic or worry. Did you see that in Stephen? No. He refused to do that. He acknowledged Christ as Lord over their unfair treatment. When that happens, people on the outside see that behavior and marvel and go, how can you put up with that kind of treatment? I'd have blown my stack by now. I'd have snapped. And friends, seldom will there be more, uh, a more opportune time to share about God's love and his strength than when you're suffering and you're under the gun and you give God glory, and you trust him through it. Now yet again, Peter, Peter's overarching theme of Christ, who is the source of hope in hurtful and uncircumstan uh, uh, hopeful and un uncertain circumstances, and hurtful times, he comes back to the force again. Jesus alone provides a solid basis for hope in the midst of suffering. Alone. Finally, the fifth response to the world's unfair treatment. 
And it's found in these verses here too. Keep a good conscience. Keep a good conscience. We find that in verse 16. Having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So not only do we set apart Christ as Lord in every event of our lives, but we must maintain a good conscience. And this maintenance of a good conscience, even in the middle of persecution, will draw the attention of those who don't know him and even silence the slanderers. In other words, Peter argues that a life of consistent integrity, consistent integrity is a quiet and strong defense of a Christian life. And it opens up the opportunity for sharing how Jesus gives us hope in disappointing and difficult circumstances. So Peter then brings the section to a close by echoing a principle that he stated earlier in 1 Peter 2.20. And although we may suffer unjust treatment for living an honorable Christian life, we must be careful that we're actually not incurring deserved punishment for doing wrong. For being snarky, for doing things that are wrong. Only when we suffer unjustly on behalf of Christ is that a testimony that others um, can, uh, can see and that we can claim to be truly walking after the partner of our Lord and Savior who suffered and died for our sake. Now, there's an underlying principle I want to draw your attention to. And he brings it to a conclusion in 1 Peter 3.17. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So simply stated, unjust suffering is always better than deserved punishment. Now, you and I can't often explain why, we should, why we're suffering. I found in my life it's not a really fruitful question to ask why. Why is it that we should be suffering what doing, for what's doing right? A better question is, Lord, what can I learn in the middle of all of this? What do you want me to learn through this? And to me, as I was reflecting on that this week, no man is a better example of that than Job. Do you know what his name really means? Job's name? It means an object of enmity. Imagine calling your kid that. Far out. He became an object lesson of unfair, undeserved treatment, bad treatment. Now, after describing, if you recall, in a brief biography, his righteousness, that he, he constantly in his life turned away from evil. He took care of his family. Good thing. Good thing. He walked with God. Good thing. He was known for his integrity. Good thing. Then it seems to me like all hell broke loose. And he was leveled. He was like a friend of mine this week that tweeted, and I put it on our Facebook page, that basically is this. You don't realize that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you got. When you've got nothing, you suddenly realize, my goodness, he's, be, he's, he's underneath us all. Today, though, he is one of the most admired men in all of time. And we, and we think about him as a man of patience, Remember the old adage, the patience of Job, right? A man who was the object of enmity 
one has because of his patient response to an unjust situation. He persevered under trial. Now, I wouldn't wish the life of Job on anyone. And though he suffered terribly, today, though, he's counted to be blessed because of his patient endurance. This is all linked to maturity. James 5, 11 points us out again. Jesus' brother. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job. We just talked about him. And have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So if God has called you to be a Job, and that's a very, 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 very rare calling. Remember that the Lord is not only full of compassion, but he is also fully in control. And nothing will ever happen to you that hasn't passed his desk. He's not, oh, I didn't know about that. And he will not leave you without hope. Now one of the responses to unjust suffering that Peter wants us to have was to be ready to give a witness. Now many of us, however, when we're under the gun, we're in a sticky wicket, we're on the spot, and we're asked to give some sort of account, many of us are absolutely sometimes blank. Or we will attempt a few nervously formed words. I was reading again this week, William Barclay, and he encourages us there to put together a reasonably intelligent explanation of the hope within us. So today, why not after the service, before you get on to the next thing, think about carefully a, just a few concise statements and key thoughts that you would want to share with somebody who asks you about your beliefs. It is better to be prepared. Scriptural basis, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. And do so with gentleness and respect. Then take those few thoughts and fashion them into a paragraph that feels natural to the way you speak. Now that's going to take some effort. But can I implore you that in this church, as far as we are concerned, we want to be doers of God's word. We want to be prepared. We don't want to hear and then not do. Because the scripture warns us of that. And all of you know, this caused me this week again to write down to get greater clarity on if I ain't... This morning, I drove out my drive. My next door neighbor is moving. I only sometimes have a few snapshots. He's inviting me for coffee. I'm taking that up. And I'm using what I've done already this week for this message, should the Holy Spirit open up that so I can share with Patrick. He's in pain. Let's bow our heads. Could, you, could I just ask you, don't worry about the couple of guys that are coming up to, to prepare. But could you just close your eyes one more time with me and focus where we began this message. Listen to the counsel of Peter. 
in God's word. Just listen to it. Consider yourself uniquely blessed by God. Don't panic or sit and worry and stew. Acknowledge Christ as Lord even over the event or the situation. Don't lose perspective. Be ready to give a witness. Be ready. Keep a good conscience. Friend, this morning you cannot acknowledge Christ as Lord if first you haven't have Christ as your Savior. So maybe that for you this morning, maybe that's what needs to, we need to start this morning. It's an essential journey in life that must be made. It's the journey to the Savior. Only through His power and His strength can you handle what life throws at you and what's after death. Now, Father, as we acknowledge your Son as Lord, we do not deny the unexpected pain and difficulty of our earthly trials. Lord, for some you already know deeply, some it's almost unbearable. But you are sovereign and the one with the full capacity to handle our needs and help us through. You and you alone are our strength. To take the burden and to give us a new perspective on what we need. To quieten our spirits, Lord. Holy Spirit, be our comforter and give us a sense of relief when life can be difficult. In those days when life doesn't seem fair, enable in us whatever the season of life to see beyond the present and to focus on the hope ahead and to recognize that you're always with us, that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for the joy of this day. Thank you for the pleasure of relationships. And especially, Father, thank you for the truth of your word that lives in and abides in us forever. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.